Well, uh, we are continuing this morning in our series called Love Builders and Love Busters. Our church vision is to love God and people, grow in relationship with God and others, and serve God and the community. Uh, uh, Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Love, grow, and serve. This is who we are. This is what we do. And so in this series, we're going to, do, uh, we're going to be looking a little more closely at what it means to love. How do we put hands and feet on this love thing? I mean, what is love? I mean, people have been trying to capture the essence of love for many centuries. We talk about in our poetry. Uh, it's the subject of so many songs and, and movies and it's in our novels. I mean, what is love? Is it a gushy feeling? Like a warm, gushy feeling inside? Like I can remember um, a lot of years ago when Jill and I first started dating. We were 16 years old. And uh, we went to this amusement park called Canopy Lake Park. And it was at that park. We were walking around. I don't know if you remember this. It was the first time that I ever held her hand. And uh, oh my goodness, I had warm, gushy feelings inside. <laughs> It was like, oh, and I, I think I got a dopey look on my face, like, <laughs> I'm holding a girl's hand, you know? and uh, I had some trouble putting some, uh, you know, thoughts together. I had to really think about putting complete sentences together, you know? I mean, is that what, is that what love is, you know, a warm, gushy feeling? Is it like, you know, is it going around saying, you know, what, uh, you know, you make me feel warm inside when I'm around you? You know, you, you make me feel gushy inside, or, you know, when I'm around you, I, I can't really think straight. You know, is that what love is? Is, is, love, a, uh, is love a feeling? You know, uh, I mean, feelings are good, right? I mean, if you, if you have love in your heart, I mean, you should have some positive feelings, right? I mean, I mean if you do love, um, good feelings are right, and sometimes they may be warm and, and fuzzy, right? How many of you have ever run into someone who's cold and prickly? Did you feel loved? No. How many of you deal with someone who's cold and prickly every day? Don't point at your spouse. All right. You don't feel loved, right, when it's cold and prickly, right? You know, and feelings of love are awesome, right? But it seems to me, as I understand the Bible, the more I study the Bible, uh, that the feelings are more of a byproduct than they are genuine love themselves. They're a byproduct of the real thing. So, if you love someone, you should probably have good feelings in your heart, right? Because if you say, I love somebody, but all you ever feel is kind of cold and prickly and nasty when you think of them, well, there's something wrong with that kind of love, right? But, but still, those feelings aren't really um, the, the essence themselves. There's something that is more fundamental. So we're asking, you know, in this series, what are these love builders and what are our love busters? What are the things that encourage love and what are the things that destroy love? And to answer these questions, we're looking at the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And last week we did an overview of this letter uh, asking the question, how does this fit into this whole letter? Why did Paul write this chapter about love? And we saw that the Corinthian believers were dysfunctional in many ways. They were self-focused, prideful, and unspiritual and worldly and they had been doing church wrong and they had been representing Jesus the wrong way. And so at the end of chapter 12, the very last half of the last verse, Paul said to them, now I'm going to show you the most 
excellent way, the most excellent way to do church, the most excellent way to be the body of Christ, the most excellent way to represent Jesus. It's called the way of love. So let's start by getting a broad view of what Paul is saying by looking at the first three verses of this chapter, and then we'll unpack our first love builder this morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. He says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Would you just bow and pray with me over the word this morning? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would just uh, open our hearts and open our minds and understanding and fill us with everything that you have for us this morning, God. For it's in the name of the Lord Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, now, there's something that I want you to notice here. All of the things that Paul mentions here are good things. He's talking about gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of faith, self-sacrificial things. None of these things are bad. They're all good things. They're all for today. But what we find is that if we use them with the wrong motivation in our heart, they become useless. They become worthless. They become ineffective. Now, look at the words there, resounding gong and clanging cymbals. Well, she does that, the idea is that you can say the most awesome things about God. You can say some of the deepest things about God, but you can say it in the most theologically accurate way. But if someone comes across all things in self-centered, right? As a self-centered, keep going! All right, now stop. Now stop. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now, how many of you heard what I said there? You didn't hear what I said. Well, let me tell you to you again. I said the idea here, when we talk about a resounding gong or clanging cymbal, is that you can explain some of the deepest truths about God. You can say it with the most theologically accurate way. But if it comes across all angry and, or selfish or self-centered, if it lacks love, if it's motivated by something other than love, it makes it really difficult for people to hear you. Because all they hear is something that's louder. The lack of love, the anger, whatever else is coming across sounds like that. The way that drowned out what I was saying, lack of love drowns out anything positive that you have to offer. So look at the phrase now, I am nothing and I gain nothing. If we can accomplish some of the most amazing things for God, even things that only God himself can do through faith. But if the motivation is wrong, nothing is gained. It profits us nothing. It means nothing. He, he says to the Corinthians, all your arguments, all your divisions, all your teaching, all your gifts of the Spirit, and your meetings, they all making no difference at all because there's no love involved in it. As a matter of fact, he said, remember from last week that their meetings, he said, were doing more harm than good. And so he's saying, now let me show you what all these things should look like. What they shouldn't look like and what they should look like. Let me show you a way that will be profitable for everyone. Let me show you a way 
to express Jesus so that everyone can hear what you are saying. In verses 4 through 7, he gives us this list of love builders and love busters. And so today we're going to look at our first love builder. And if you're going to love, if you're going to follow the way of love, here's the first thing that God says you need to build into your life and heart and motivation. Are you ready for it? It's the very first part of verse 4, and it's only three words. And it says this, love is patient. Say that with me. Love is patient. If you're going to love, you must be patient with people. How many of you, this is your favorite thing? All right, one. Awesome. That's great. If you're going to have love in your family, you're going to have to be patient with people. If you're going to have love on your job, you're going to have to be patient with people. If you're going to have love in the body of Christ, you are going to have to be patient with people. It's something God expects of you. Some people say, well, I'm just not a patient person. That's not my gift. It doesn't matter. God says that he wants you to be loving, and he says if you're going to be loving, you must be patient. Isn't it interesting that this is the very first thing that Paul says love looks like? If you want love in your family and in the body of Christ and wherever you go, you must be patient. The first thing you need before anything else is patience. So what does it mean to be patient? What is patience? Well, let me give you a couple uh, helpful definitions of patience. Patience is that thing that you appreciate it when you see it in the driver behind you, but you don't appreciate it so much when you see it in the driver in front of you. Patience. It's that thing that you often lose just when you need it the most. It's that thing that you, you, have be, that you must have before going to the Department of Motor Vehicles. It's that thing that helps you not only wait, but helps you wait with a good attitude. And now if you ask a lot of people, they will tell you that they have a good amount of patience, but how do you really know? How do you really know if you have the kind of patience that, that, that you need? So every once in a while, I like to do kind of a helpful um, public service announcement. So I, I've, I've got one for you this morning. I'm providing this list, um, this little test, kind of help you know if you have enough patience in your life. All right, ready? Here we go. If you find yourself standing in front of the microwave yelling, hurry, you probably need more patience. If you walk on the elevator and you're pushing the close button before everybody else is on, you probably need a little more patience. If you've ever been in the checkout line and the person in front of you pulls out a big uh, box of coupons and you take out your wallet and offer to give them five bucks if they'll just go on their way and not... You probably need a little more patience. And if you're wondering when this sermon is going to be over, <laughs> you probably need a little bit more patience. As a matter of fact, uh, as an additional public service to you, I thought, you know, maybe what I'll do uh, to help you with patience is just preach twice as long as usual. Oh, man. Oh, there were more groans than laughs. All right, I'll just keep it to the normal length. All right. Patience. Patience. This morning, I want to explore just two ideas from the Bible that I believe will help us understand what patience is and really make it practical, help us to put hands and feet on love and on patience. So let me show you. First is this. God is patient with us. God is patient with us. How many of you can say amen to that? 
God is patient with us. Let me show you three ways that God is patient with us. First, God loves us by being patient with us because he loves us and wants us to be saved. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 15. Peter's talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some uh, understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then just a few verses later in, chapter, in verse 15, he says again, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. God is patient with us because he loves us and he wants us to find salvation. The idea here is he's even holding back on his return. He's holding back on his judgment because he does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to find eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is patient with us because he wants us to find salvation in him. As a matter of fact, if God wasn't patient with us, he would have been done right after the Garden of Eden. Right after he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, he would have just packed it up and uh, gone away because you know what? They had blown their chance, but God didn't give up on them. And God doesn't give up on us. Instead, he is patient. And it says this, at the set time, when the set time had fully come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might be, receive adoption to sonship. God was patient all that time to wait until just the right time to send Jesus to die as a sacrifice for our sins to bring us to God. God is patient because he wants us to be saved. And secondly, God is patient with us because he wants us to understand his mercy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Paul is talking about mercy towards himself that, that God has extended to him. He describes himself as one of the worst sinners that you could ever imagine, and, and that was true. He was a violent man. He was a persecutor. People died because of him. But he says this, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. When Paul was away from God, God didn't smite him. He didn't snap his fingers and just end him. God was patient with him so that he could show him his mercy and bring him to eternal life. God is patient because he wants you to understand and experience his mercy. He wants to under, us to understand what it means to deserve one thing but not receive that and instead receive God's favor. And then thirdly, God is patient with us because he knows that we are still in process. And now, we're not in the process of being saved, right? We're not in the process of earning our salvation. We're not in the process of, of becoming righteous or becoming good enough for God to accept us. God purchased our righteousness. Jesus purchased our righteousness on the cross once and for all. All of that is said and done. We can't add or contribute anything to that. He saved us. He transformed us. And now we are the righteousness of Christ because what he did for us on the cross. Yet, we are not yet what we will be. He's not finished with us. There are still some things in us 
that need to change. There's a beautiful passage about this in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Here, Paul's talking to these same Corinthian believers that, that we've been talking about. And he's talking about this glorious, transforming new covenant ministry of the resurrected Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's a ministry that brings life and righteousness and transforms us, and it lasts. It doesn't fade away. And we come to verse 17 and 18, and it says this. I love these verses. These are awesome verses. I mean, these are verses you ought to meditate on a lot. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces, that is, God's taken the veil of a lack of understanding away from us. We with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image. Are being transformed into his image. Say, that's a present continuous kind of idea. As soon as you came to Christ, God was in the process of transforming you into the image of Jesus. He's working on you, making you look more like Jesus. If you've been saved 10 years or 20 years, today God is in the process of transforming. You are being transformed into the image of Christ. He's going to make you look more like Jesus. 10 years from now, if he hasn't come back yet, he will still be in the process of making you, of transforming you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say this, into his image with ever increasing glory. That is awesome. That is awesome. Because the idea is, now you're saved, he's paid the entire price for you, and now uh, by his spirit he begins to work on you and make you look more and more and more and more like Jesus, all the way up until the day that he comes back or we go home to be with him, and then we receive a, a new body, a transformed body, and so shall we ever be like the Lord and be with him forever, and never, never, never will we ever break his heart again after that. Hallelujah. 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 We are being transformed. Because there's this stuff in us that still doesn't look like Jesus. And, and the point of all this, the thing I want you to see, is he's patient with us. Aren't you glad he doesn't come along today and go, oh my goodness, look at, there's that thing. There's something in Deb here that doesn't look entirely like me. I'm so done with you. Right? Aren't you glad he doesn't do that? Right? You know, he doesn't come across... Come along and say, well, there's Emily. There's one thing there. She's been making progress, but there's something there that doesn't quite look like me. I'm just done with you, right? Praise God he doesn't do that with us. He's patient with us. Why? Because he sees what we are becoming. There's, a, there's this beautiful story about it in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. One day, someone came to Jesus' disciples. Jesus is up on a mountaintop. They came to Jesus' disciples, and they had this, this young boy that had a demon, and this demon kept trying to kill this young kid. And they brought him to his disciples and asked his disciples to cast out this, this demon. And, and his disciples had cast out other demons before, but this one they couldn't cast out. And so Jesus finally comes down from the mountain, and uh, they rush over to Jesus, and Jesus is like, well, okay, what's going on here? And so they said, well, you, we brought this... this um, this, this boy to be delivered of the demon, but your disciples couldn't cast it out. Don't you, wouldn't you love that? Don't you love being cast out under the bus like that? They couldn't just say, Jesus, could you cast out the demon? We brought him here, and they couldn't do it. Maybe you can, Jesus. So um, Jesus says, he looks at him and says, oh, you unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? 
How long shall I put up with you? And, but then he cast the demon out. But right after that is this beautiful story of how, how when the disciples were alone with Jesus, they came and asked him, hey, how come we couldn't cast out this demon? We've, we've cast out other demons, but this one we couldn't cast. What, what was going on? And Jesus didn't say, you know what, I'm done with you. <laughs> I've taught you enough. He said, he began to share with them what was going on, what was needed. And not only that, we, we see them him continuing in the next several chapters, still being with him. Still, he's putting up with them because he sees what they're going to be. He saw that day, but he could see the day of Pentecost coming, right? He saw the day when the Spirit was going to fall in power, right? And, uh, uh, and then he sees the day when we're going to stand in his presence. He sees what we're becoming and what we are going to be and what he's making us to be. And so he's patient with us. Oh, praise God. Thank God for that. God is patient with us. And then the second thing I want you to see this morning is that God wants us to be patient with each other. How many of you like the God is patient with us part better than the God wants me to be patient with others, right? <laughs> All right. I think that's kind of natural, but uh, God wants us to be patient with each other. And I want you to look at several scriptures. To the Roman Christians in Romans 12, God said, uh, be patient in affliction. Well, that means then, if you feel afflicted, if you feel like somebody is afflicting you, do what? Be patient, right? You say, but God, this person is afflicting me. You don't understand. God says, be patient in affliction. And then look at to the Colossians in chapter 3. He said, clothe yourself with patience. The idea is put on patience. Wear it like a garment. Be draped in patience. You know, that kind of speaks like of, of being patient an awful lot, doesn't it? To the Thessalonians, he said this, be patient with those who don't irritate you. Is that what it says? Your Bible doesn't say that? Wait a minute, let me check it again. Be patient with a few people. Is that not what it says? Be patient with some people? Be patient with most people? What does it say up there? Everyone? Be patient with, with everyone? Isn't it good enough just like if I'm patient with most people, but I just have a few exceptions? Some of you have a list that just went through your mind now, your exceptions, right? All right. God doesn't have an exceptions list. Be patient with everyone. That's a lot of people. <laughs> That's your mother, your brother, your sister, your father. That's your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. That's that one crazy relative that everyone has in their family. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. You know you all have this one crazy relative in every family, right? That's your coworkers, your friends, your enemies. That's the person driving the car in front of you and the one in back of you. That's the cashier at the grocery department, the customer service rep on the phone. Be patient with everyone. That's a lot of people. Look what he says to the Ephesians. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I love this one because this is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. This is part of our, our vision scripture, our Ephesians 4 vision uh, scripture for our church. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. You know, and I find this language to be so compelling and so packed with meaning. Let's take a minute to just unpack this verse together. First, notice that there's a connection, again, there's that connection between love and love. And patience. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
You're going to have to bear with people. To be patient is to bear with people's failings. Paul said it this way. Uh, he said, bear with the failings of the weak. And again, bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against anyone. To be patient is to bear with people. It's kind of like this. The admonition to have patience carries with it the acknowledgement that there is a source of irritation. Without a source of irritation, there is no patience. It's like that guy who said, you know, I can be patient in any situation as long as everything is going how I want it to. Or I can be patient with anyone as long as they're not annoying me. Well, if there's no source of irritation, if there's no source of annoyance, then there can be no patience. Patience can only be expressed in the presence of an irritation. Uh, well, let me see a show of hands. How many of you have never been irritated by anyone? All of you? Well, you guys are Christians. You, you sometimes get irritated. You have sources of irritation. Yes, Paul acknowledges that there. There are things that cause irritation. And I can guarantee you that there are things in your personality that will cause irritation in others as well. I love that amen. That was awesome. That one amen. See, God wants us to be patient with each other. But, you know, sometimes we read this passage only one way. I love it's the, the one another part of this passage. We read it only one way sometimes. God wants me to be patient with with other people. We see it in one direction. You know, other people irritate us, but we should be patient. And, and, uh, and sometimes, if we're not careful, it, become, it can become a point of pride. We begin to think like this. You know, aren't I so spiritual? All those other people out there annoy me. I'm not annoying anybody, but everybody else irritates me. And, you know, I overlook it. I bear with them. I put up with them. It's my cross to bear. I'm so spiritual, aren't I? I mean, we can say that. And, uh, I'm, such, I'm such a better person than everybody else because I put up with them. And, you know, and it can. It doesn't have to, but it can become a point of pride. And the verse, again, look at it. It says bearing with what? It doesn't say bearing with other people. It says bearing with one another. Did you ever stop to think that maybe you're the person that God is telling someone else to be patient with? Not one amen on that, right? Maybe sometimes you're the source of irritation to somebody else, and God is working patient in them, bearing with I can guarantee you, I just said this, I can guarantee you that there are some things about your personality that others will find uh, as a source of irritation. I know that shocks some of you, but let me show you how this works, all right? Now, um, you might be the type of person that just loves to talk a lot. Right? And the person that's right on your left, um, they might love that about you and think that's just charming. They just love to talk with you and just, just talk for hours. But the person on your right might be a more quiet type of person and just likes to have quiet. And so after a little while, you're going on and on and on, and they're feeling a little bit what? Irritated. The person on your left is having a great time. Right? And it's not that the thing of the personality trait is wrong. It's just that we're all different people. Or it could be maybe you're that person that just likes quiet, and you don't like to talk a lot, right? And someone in your family thinks that's great because, you know what, they don't like to talk a lot either, but just a knowing glance for a second, a nod, communicates so much, and that's good for you, you know? But yet, someone else in your family is thinking, man, they are just so emotionally unavailable. 
I can't get anything out of them, you know, and they're wondering what's going on inside of you. And that same thing that one person loves is becoming an irritation to the other person, right? It's not wrong. It's not sin. It's just that we're made differently with different desires and different personality types. And so that's why I just love the one another part of this. Be patient with one another. It's not just I'm patient with you. It's not just you're patient with me. It's we're patient with each other. We are patient with each other in our family. We're patient with each other in the body of Christ. You know? And there's something humble about patience. There's humility in patience. Because genuine patience doesn't say, you know what? I'll put up with you because I'm better than you. Genuine patience says, I'll bear with you because I know I'm really no better than you are. God wants us to be patient with each other. God's patient with us because he wants us to be saved, because he wants us to understand his mercy, and because he's committed to this glorious process of transformation. And God wants us to be patient with, with each other, to bear with one another, to forgive each other's failings so that we can show the world what real love looks like. So we can represent Jesus well so that we can express Jesus in the most excellent way. Love is patient. Would you all please bow your heads with me?